Yo, 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 yo! Welcome to episode number 80 of the Basketball Card Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Alt. Alt Alt.xyz has over 550 items ending next Thursday as part of their liquid auctions. Super easy platform, connects to your bank directly. They have low fees, great tech, wonderful information, and incredible customer service. I bought several big-time cards off of the Alt platform over the course of the last several months. What are you waiting for? Register to the Alt platform today. Today, I'm going to tell you guys one of the saddest stories uh, that I've been involved in in the hobby. Saddest is not the right word, though. When I think of sad, I think of people going through hard things. Life is good. But some of you, from a card-related perspective, this will be one of the saddest stories ever. I'm sharing it because um, something that happened yesterday. Yesterday, uh, we saw on our Instagram that um, Nat Turner posted one of the five remaining cards that he needed to get as um, for his PMG Green set. He posted the Brian Grant. That leaves him with four cards left that he wants to acquire. Um, and the biggest one of those four is John Stockton. And ironically, extremely ironically, the only PMG Green that I've ever owned in my life was the John Stockton. And so this is the story about that card. Um, before I really get going, I will tell you there is a version of the story that I wrote for Basketball Card Fanatic in issue 18. You can go get that today, uh, either in print or in digital. We actually still have four versions or four uh, copies of it in print um, at bcfmag.com. Shout out to the magazine. As always, you guys know, um, I'm the editor in chief at Basketball Card Fanatic magazine. And one way that you can support the podcast is by supporting the magazine at bcfmag.com. You can also get a digital version uh, for cheaper too. So, uh, but between for what it costs to just get the to get the ep- the issues just sent to you directly from the printer, that's so much easier and cheaper than ordering them after the fact. So I'd love it if you'd subscribe today. Those are always out there. I would love for you to do that. Um, so so there's there's that version out in issue 18. But today I want to share that allowed via the podcast. I don't know if I've done this via the podcast before. Um, I might have at some point, uh, but want to share want to share the story with you because again, I, I think it's I think it's an interesting one and it reminds me, you know, I'm reminded of it because of the because of Nat needing that card now. I posted it out on my Instagram that I'd had the card stolen from me and I literally got over 40 messages asking for me to talk about it. And so I'm just going to talk about it here. So let's start by setting the stage. I was 18, 19 years old when this happened. This happened back in 2022, sorry, 2002. So please do not judge too harshly. This is teenage Adam that we're talking about here. This is um, one of the great lessons that I've learned in my life from this experience. And I've begun by telling you that I had the card stolen from me. So you know the end before you know the beginning. But I think um, the whole story is is, um, instructive and it's, it's an awesome story. So I was working at the card shop, um, house cards in Salt Lake City. I was getting ready to go serve a mission and I needed to save money for my mission. And, um, this is definitely a phase where I was not as much as a, not as much of a collector, but again, still worked at the card shop, still was buying cards. I had at this point, one of the best Andre Kirilenko card collections in the world. I had two of his ultimate collection patch parallels, which I believe was his best card, uh, serial numbered out of 25. I had some awesome Carl Malone cards, just a great jazz collection. And I was going to just leave a few cards and a few things 
when I went while I went on my mission for two years and then come home and see you know how those prices had changed. Um, I was going to England, and so I knew that I wasn't going to have a tremendous amount of contact with basketball and with cards while I was gone. And so I was also saving for my mission. So I was trying to get as much money as I possibly could. And one day, when I was working at the shop. Um, we had a card show up on our bid board. Uh, the bid board was a place that both we as a shop and customers could come in and put their cards up for auction. Sort of like an in-house eBay that existed for years, right? We had that, that, that bid board ran from the late 80s up until the card shop closed, which was about, oh my goodness, I don't even know now. It must be like seven or eight years ago. The card shop probably closed maybe longer ago than that. I don't even know. It's hard to it's hard to sort of put my finger on that. But anyway, so we had this this in-house auction and people would come in and put the cards on the wall and we would sell our own cards on there too. And the biggest seller was the shop. Uh, the shop was run by Jeff. Jeff, we had had him on a previous uh, episode of of this show, and he had bought a huge, really crazy jazz collection. Well, one of the cards that was in the set was a John Stockton green PMG card. And um, I should say one of, the, one of the cards that was in the collection was this John Stockton green, green PMG. And he put it up on the bid board with an opening bid. I, I, seriously, it was like $15 or $10 or something like that. And as soon as I saw it, I like, was like, what in the world? I have never seen one of these in person before. And what I knew about it was... Because I was, I'm definitely a child of Beckett, right? Like I am a disciple of Beckett. I read that magazine. I read the annual. I read the. I read. I read everything in Beckett for years and years. I knew that the that the precious metal gems, green, didn't have individual prices on them, but they had a ginormous multiple that was in the annual almanac, the annual basketball almanac. So I went and I sort of pulled out the annual almanac and I remember the number that was on it was just crazy. It was like, it was seriously like 400 or 500 times the value of the base card. The base card was like 50 cents or something like that. I saw that and I was like, yeah, I knew this card was worth a lot. I remember the greens were the first 10. I remember reading this in Beckett. I wonder what these sell for. Well, in those days, we obviously didn't have eBay on our phones right? We didn't have smartphones. I couldn't just look it up there at the shop. So what I would do, and I did this all the time, is I would like see the cards that were up that week on the auction that would end Saturday at noon. And I would go home and get on eBay and I would see what stuff had sold for. Back in those days, um, when an item sold, generally it actually sold because if a buyer was to buy an item back then and not pay, the seller could leave negative feedback. It was one of the great things about eBay back in the day that unfortunately they changed changed along the way. That was a huge mistake. I think they, they always should have kept that negative feedback feature um, for sellers to leave when buyers didn't pay. So I went home and I saw that an Antonio McDice had sold. Couldn't find a John Stockton, obviously, but an Antonio McDice had sold recently and it had sold for several hundred dollars. And back in those days, guys, you just did not see things like this. So I went back to the shop and I wanted to scare everybody off. And so I put a $75 bid on the item. In retrospect, that didn't make any sense because you didn't actually have to place bids until the end. 
And when the when the timer went off, I think, like I said, I think it was at noon or maybe one o'clock on Saturdays. Whoever had the highest bid on the card would win. But I put the $75 bid on this John Stockton just to say, hey, this is mine. And I asked my boss, Jeff, I said, hey, if I win this item, will you sell it on eBay for me? I had never done any, I'd never sold any items on eBay. He would sell it and take a very small percentage. And Jeff said, yeah, I'd love to do that. It will, it'll be interesting to see what it sells for. And so, you know, I was really excited for it. And then on Saturday at one o'clock or right before Saturday at one o'clock, somebody else put a bid or somebody did during the week. And I was really surprised at that because I thought 75 would for sure win it. In those days, locally, people didn't spend that much that much on, on individual cards. I think he bid $76. So I waited until there was like a minute left in the auction and I put down a bid of like $76.50. And I won the card. I was super excited. I was thinking, hey, I could probably sell this card for three or 400 bucks and um, pay for a part of my mission. And I couldn't have been more thrilled about it. I was gonna leave the card with Jeff, but then I decided to take it home. I took it home and, um, you know, was like looking at the card and sort of thinking about like, like, you know, is this card that I really want to sell? Because it occurred to me even then, like, this is the sort of card that of John Stockton, who was one of my two favorite players growing up. Like, this is the sort of card that you're probably never going to see again, Adam. It's worth a ton of money. Yes. But like, it's very rare. It was really cool, it like reflected in this way that I thought was really neat. And I just looked at it and I thought, you know, is this a card that I, you know, that I really want to sell? Most of you know about PWCC. What you might not know is how much of the market share of auctions PWCC has taken from eBay. Every week, over 10,000 auctions, including thousands of basketball cards, end on the PWCC marketplace. If you haven't joined, it's super easy takes only a few minutes to register and begin bidding on everything from $5 cards to million-dollar cards. I recently picked up a 2007 Topps Chrome Superfractor of Kevin Garnett on the PWCC weekly auction. What are you waiting for? Register today at pwccmarketplace.com and start bidding. The fact remained that I needed the money for my mission. I needed to save, and I needed to figure out how to get a lot of money, and this was a card that was clearly going to sell for a lot of money. I also noticed something interesting about this card that you may have noticed if you've seen them in person, and this is true with the reds as well, is if you look at the, if you just look at the face of the card and tilt it side to side, if you look at some of the areas that are supposed to be the, the strong red or the strong green color, sometimes you can see through a little bit to the white behind. Sometimes that white cardstock shines through where the, the foil doesn't like have total coverage over the card. Um, I have noticed this in many of the PMGs that I've that I've that I've had since then. But when I noticed it on the John Stockton, I didn't know that it was the first time I'd had one in hand, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? This card isn't perfect. It's not mint. I'm not sure that it's you know something that people are going to really, you know, if they're going to like it or if they're going to they're going to have a problem with it." Again, it was it was 2002, 20 something years of learning and cards later. I, I I know a lot of lessons that I didn't know then, but I was a teenager. And I was really like one of the only people at that time that was flipping cards the way that I was, right? I was, I don't want to call myself like a card flipping pioneer, but that's basically what I was, right? I was looking for opportunities where between the card shop and eBay, you had differences in prices. And sometimes I was buying on eBay and selling in, in the shop. And sometimes I was doing the opposite, right? I was buying it in the shop and, and selling on eBay. But this was one of those situations where a jazz card was actually going to sell for more 
in a worldwide economy than it did in a local economy because it was such a rare item. And so I noticed again that it wasn't mint and that it had problems. I'm 90% sure it was card number 8 of 100. I am not 100% sure about that. I believe it was 8 of 100, but I don't have a record or scans at this point because the email that I was using at that point was a Juno account, and I have not accessed that Juno account in literally close to 20 years. I've tried. I don't think it's possible anymore for me to, to access it. I think it's probably gone, and so... It was also one of those emails where when you sent the email, it like downloaded the email to your hard drive. And then when you went back and you looked online, that email wasn't even there. So I'm not even sure if I, if I got onto the old online version, if there would even be a way to access the, the emails on this, um, on this story anymore. But anyway, so I haven't, I've, I've sort of like told you a little bit more than I, than I should have up front. Cause I want to tell you what then happened after that. I mentioned that I was going to sell the card through my boss house of cards. That was the plan. But I was so enthusiastic about what this card had the chance to sell for that I actually went home and for the first time in my life, I wanted to try to see if I could sell the card on my own. Um, I had a scanner that my mom had recently bought for me, right? We didn't have, people weren't taking pictures with phones at that point. That didn't exist. And people weren't, like most things were on a scanner. And so I figured out a way to scan the card, took the best scan that I could. And I listed it on eBay and I listed it with a buy it now of $500. Well, I didn't really, like, again, you couldn't check it all the time back then. I'd have to like go dial up onto my internet and then like see what, what was happening on the card. But I, I listed it. And then the next day while I was at work, I got a phone call. And the phone call, the guy left a message, and the guy was from Australia. And the guy said, hey, I've seen your John Stockton green card. I really want it. I want to be able to buy it. And the, you're, you're probably wondering, well, how did he get your number? Well, again, in those days, um, you know, in those days, he, like eBay had an ability for you to actually look at look up a person's phone number if you were a seller. I know that sounds crazy in 2023, but that is really how it existed back then. And so this guy with 800 and something feedback looked at me and I had a small number of feedback, but I had zero feedback as a seller, right? I had like, I think I had like 19 feedback or 17 feedback or something as a buyer, um, you know, where I would buy a card and then send somebody a money order and then they would <laughs> send, send me the card. I had like all positive feedback from that. I don't, I can't remember if PayPal wasn't a thing or if I just hadn't adopted it yet. Um, but I know that I hadn't adopted PayPal like back in 2002 at that point. Um, and I know that I had never sold a card before. This is my first time doing it. So anyway, I got the, I got the message. I listened to the message and the guy's like, Hey, please call me or I'll call you. And so I emailed him that he could call me because at that point I wouldn't be charged as much for him calling me on an international call as if I called him. And so he called me and we had like an hour long chat and he was like, I'm really excited for this card. Um, like I'd love to be able to buy it from you. I saw, you know, that you had listed it for sale. I'm, you know, I'd love to figure out a good buy it now price. And I said, well, the buy it now price is $500. And I thought at that point that the buy it now price would stay up even during the auction. 
in the meantime, the auction had been bid up to like two or three hundred dollars, and but I was still really excited to be able to get potentially five hundred dollars for this card. And so I said to him, I was like, I'd still do five hundred dollars for you. And he said, he thought about it. And he's like, it's a deal. I'll do five hundred dollars. And I couldn't have been more excited, guys, to turn seventy six dollars or whatever it is into, you know, what ended it was going to end up being like four hundred and fifty dollars. Like that was life changing money for me at that point. Um, the, the mission I think cost $9,000. And so I was looking for ways to fund as much of that as I possibly could. And to think that I could take a pretty good chunk of that and one card was a huge, huge deal for me. And so I agreed and we hopped off the phone and we, he's like, okay, go ahead and end the item. And so I went and I ended the item and then we came back to the call. We came back and had another call a little while later. And he said, well, now you remember, I told you that story about the guy who who scammed me, right? And I forgot to mention this part earlier. He had he had told me the story about how he had a Michael Jordan Fleer PSA 10, like, like 1988 or 1989 card that he'd sold for, I can't remember how much he'd sold it for, but he said he'd shipped it and then the guy said he never got it and he was forced to refund the guy. And eBay cited in his favor because he was international told me this long sob story beforehand. What I didn't realize is, is when he, when we had the secondary call, he said to me, now remember I mentioned that and remember I, I required that you send me the item first. I don't believe he'd ever said that, right? This is like a technique that a, a scammer or a bad guy would use is to try to get you to believe something that he, that you'd committed to that you hadn't actually committed to before. And of course I was this young, super gullible kid who who just trusted, right? Who believed and thought that he was, you know, that his story was true. And I could understand where he was coming from. Like this guy had 800 and something feedback. He never had any problems, right? And there's little old me who's never sold a card before. Like it just made sense to me, right? It just made sense. Well, you know, you, you fast forward. Um, like I remember going to the, going to the post office. I remember paying, I think it was $17 at the time was a lot to ship him this card with signature confirmation. It was like registered mail and there's all these like special things that I got to do with it. And I never got back the signature that he'd signed for the card. But what I did notice as the, 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 the days turned into weeks and months was that this guy's e eBay he started getting just a ton of negative feedbacks. He never had any negative feedbacks, but then he had like 20 something of them in a row. And unfortunately they were all the same story as me. Australian guy who like went out and convinced people with low feedback to send items before receiving payment. And again, I know as I tell that story, you're like, Adam, why were you so stupid? Blah, blah, blah. This was 21 years ago. <laughs> This was over 21 years ago. The world was different. And yes, I made a mistake. There's no question about it. But 21 years ago, the fact that this guy could call me, that we could have a conversation, that he could just straight up scam me and, you know, and get the card um, or and convince me to do this, like, that was something that was a lot more likely. We didn't have, like, the Nigerian prince emails back then that we have today, right? They, they just the level of sophistication around um, scamming people online didn't exist back then. I suspect most of you have been on MC Sports Cards items on eBay. 
and nearly 60,000 positive feedback. They're one of the biggest consignment companies on eBay. What you might not know is that they've started a focus auction for 1K and over items that end Monday nights, and they call it MC Mondays. Dozens of huge cards end on Monday, all at open auction. You could check out the items by searching by seller and going to MC underscore sports cards today. Suffice it to say, I never got my $500. <laughs> and suffice it to say that selling it for $500 was, was one of the dumbest things ever because I knew that the card was as rare as it was. I knew it was as big a deal as it was, even back in 2002. And I knew it was John Stockton's best card. And I still just... I still just did it because I needed that cash. But again, sometimes in your life you need cash and you do those things. There's a million stories to learn from this. The The last part of the story that I'll tell you is I remember everybody sort of at the card shop wanted to hear updates on this story a lot. And I, I remember telling Jeff at one point after I realized that I wasn't going to ever get the card. And Jeff said to me, he was like, Adam, this was a very important life lesson. And to be honest with you, it wasn't even that expensive. And um, he's like, you will never forget this story. You'll never put yourself in a spot again where you're depending on somebody else's goodness who you don't really know and trust. Um, you'll, you'll be more careful with people going forward. And he was right. It doesn't mean that I don't still like really try, try to see the good in everybody and try to have good faith and trust in, in people. I, I certainly do. That's something that I feel really strongly about is making sure that you treat people as people with kindness and things. But I learned that that doesn't mean that you don't need to, that you, that you willingly leave yourself very unprotected. I learned that when somebody, when something doesn't feel right in a situation like that, like it didn't feel right um, to me, when he said, hey, will you send this card first? It didn't feel right, but I just, I'd already ended the item. I felt like, oh man, I guess I have to do this. It was just such a dumb decision, right? It was such a dumb decision, but I learned that when you don't feel right in those situations, you know, you can't, you can't do that thing. Um, I forgot to mention on that one hour long call, he had me look through the rest of my collection and see if there was anything else that, um, that I wanted that he that he wanted to buy. And the other the other item that he was gonna buy was a Reggie Miller Stadium Club autograph. It came out of like a Sam's Club box and it um looks like a base card and Reggie Miller signs it. Sorry signed it. It's it's a fine card. Um I don't know if it's I don't know if it's worth fifty dollars or a hundred dollars a day. Something something not a ton, but um at that point I also from the big jazz set had a Jacques Vaughn ninety seven ultra masterpiece one of one that I had paid like 20 something dollars for. Fortunately, I, we, he and I could not come to a, an a quote agreement on that card. Um, I later sold that card for like, I think it was like $105 or something. I basically covered the cost of the Jacques Vaughn and the John Stockton with that one sell of the Jacques Vaughn. And I remember thinking that at the time thinking, well, maybe I didn't actually lose any money after all. But the, but the bigger thing that I lost was the card that, that now if I look at my collection and I say what one card would be like the best card I could add to my jazz collection, that is the one. And you know when that card come to, comes to auction, that card's going to Nat, <laughs> right? It's going to Nat because he needs that card more than anybody you know, could possibly need it. And there's not a price that I could offer to, to get it. But even still, like I, I, would, I would rather have him have that card than me because he needs it for his set 
far more than I need it. I don't even have any of the PMG reds and greens because it's honestly not my favorite set from the 90s. Um, but again, there's so many things to learn from the story. And I feel like, I feel like looking back all these years later, that it's a fun thing. It's not something that I feel badly about anymore. It's not something where I'm like, man, I wish I would have done this or that. I mean, I, clearly it would have been nice, but I learned so much and it's one of the many experiences that I've had in the hobby that's taught me a lot. No, I don't hold anything against Australians. I had like 10 people from Australia text me yesterday and say, hey, do you hate Australians because of this? No, of course not. Some of my best friends in the hobby are Australian. Um, I saw the card uh, pop up actually, ironically, after I got home from my mission at another public auction and it was from a place in the United States. So what the guy probably did is he probably stole it along with all the other cards that he was stealing at that time from unsuspecting um, people who saw his high feedback number. Um, and then he, he probably sold it and maybe he sold it for $500. Maybe he sold it for less. Maybe he sold it for more. I don't know, but there's no question that whoever ended up with the card wasn't the bad guy, right? It was, it was this guy who, who originally took it from me and just, you know, made a few hundred bucks on it. So ironically, if he would have just held on to the thing, he'd have a six figure card 20 something years later, but alas, he gave it up. It showed up somewhere else and who knows where it is today, but hopefully it ends up in Nat's collection soon. Guys, again, uh, thank you for joining and for downloading the podcast today. I will be back next week with another topic. And until then, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.